0: Well, I'd like to pray with you for a minute before we look into God's word. Let's, let's pray together. You are a good father. And we are so deeply grateful for that. And one of the gifts you give us is your word. And we're so grateful for that as well. And so we invite you to talk three different times in Psalm 119 to open our hearts and our minds and Help us to understand your word, not just in an informative type way, as important as it is to understand the stuff and to know some of the facts and, and all that stuff, but really in a transformative way as well. Those different places in Psalms talk about this. So we invite you by your spirit to do that in our life now as we consider your word and pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In the book of Isaiah... In chapter 64, verse 8, it says, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hands. Now, I understand very clearly that for some of us here, our memories of our father, or if we're still living at home, the ongoing relationship with our dad um, has so many healthy levels to it so many good memories attached to it. Not perfect, because nobody's perfect, right? But just so many good, good memories, or just ongoing wonderful things. But I also understand that some of us here, if we were to reflect on our Father, the memories would not be so good. And some of our memories would be quite jaded. And some of them would be of things that were just horrible that Dad did. And I would just say I'm just deeply sorry for that hurt that you've had. But I'm going to invite each one of us here now, if I may, to try and look past, if it's been difficult, try and look past some of those memories so that I can invite you to, with me, experience the greatest father ever. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Luke. well-known story, third book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to be reading the first couple of verses and then verse 11 through the end of the chapter, Luke chapter 15, and as we do this, I remind you that this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to begin by reading these first two verses, and it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's crucial if you're going to read Luke chapter 15, you have to read the first two verses because they are the setup and the understanding that you have to have to appreciate the three stories that are told in this in this in this chapter of scripture. And so what's happened is is that the religious and intellectual elites of that society, the people that were running and were in charge, the Pharisees and Sadducees are watching Jesus and he's hanging out with people that they consider riffraff, with sinful people, and he's even hanging out with people that would be sort of quote unquote regular people in the culture. And they're sort of saying, You're pretending to be one of us, in their mind at least, like a rabbi. How dare you associate yourself with what we consider riffraff, with sinful people, with even regular people? You ought to be back from them with us. And so Jesus hears this. And in response to this attitude that they had, he tells three stories that express the heart of God to the peoples of the world, about the peoples of the world. And we're just going to look at the third story this morning, beginning in verse 11. Jesus continued There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property. Between them, Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. So likely this son... Has gone to a distant country, to a Gentile country, and he's working with pigs, which would be a no no for an Israelite. He longed to, so he went and hired himself out, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your your brother has come, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders yet. You never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours, but we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. And is alive again, he was lost and is found. So this is often called the story or the parable. And let me just explain that a parable is just a story. But it's a story that illustrates truth. Usually a primary truth, but there'll be some secondary truths as well. So this is a story that we often call the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. But actually, it's a story about two sons. And the two sons are illustrative of the entire human condition. The entire range of humanity. Because one son is a son who rejects everything and lives any type of authority. And he rejects that and lives a morally bankrupt life. The other son thinks that he can buy God's favor by working hard and keeping all the rules. And this is the two approaches that we have in life, and it covers the whole span of humanity. Some that completely reject God and the image of God or the idea of authority and just go off and do whatever they want, and sometimes it's morally bankrupt type stuff, not always, but sometimes all the way to the other extreme of people that think if they just work hard and keep a list of do's and don'ts, That somehow they'll make themselves acceptable to God. And we know from the Bible that both approaches don't work. Neither of those approaches allow for or give us a relationship with God. And so I'm going to argue that the most important player in this story is the Father, who clearly represents God, our Heavenly Father. And so the younger son says to Dad, I'm tired of your rules. I'm tired of living under the restrictions of the kind of life that you want me to have. And so give me my half of the inheritance and I am out of here. And I am presuming with this that the dad has set the son down and said, Listen, son, I see you starting to make some decisions that are just destructive. And I love you way too much to allow you continue down this path that's going to ruin your life. Sinful choices. Choices that will scar you for life. And not only that, will just contribute collateral damage to the community and to this household and to me. And I love you too much to let you make the kind of choices that are going to wreck you in that way and hurt all of us. And so I can't allow you to continue on that track. And the son says, forget it. I want to leave. I'm out of here. So it's very unusual for this culture, but the dad divides up the inheritance and gives him the inheritance. He understands, as does God the Father, that sadly, when he gives us the freedom to choose, which he's given us, sometimes we choose very badly. And of course, that is the source of so much heartache in our world and of course in our own personal life. And we like to blame others. Or we like to blame circumstances. And sometimes we like to blame God when it's difficult in life. But often, not always, but often, if you really get under the foundation of what's causing all whatever these difficulties are, it's a whole series of very poor, in fact, sinful choices on our own part. And so this son... Says, I'm out of here, I don't want to live in the way that you live and are inviting me to live. And he bolts and he squanders his wealth in a distant country on sinful living. And it says in verse 14, after he spent everything, blown the entire inheritance, maxed out the credit cards, whatever the case may be, a famine comes and he's starving. And in verse 17, he has a reality check. He goes, they're not even letting me eat what the pigs eat. And I'm starving. And back home, my dad, who's a good manager and runs the business well, there's more than enough food for his servants to eat. And here I am starving. I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to tell him that I've sinned against God, against heaven, and against him. And I'm going to ask and beg for his forgiveness and for some food. And let me just be one of your hired men. And it says in verse 20, he makes the long journey back to where his dad is. And in verse 20, a long way off, it says, the father sees him coming. And the father is filled with compassion and runs to his son. And the son owns his stuff. And he humbles himself and admits his deal. And the father welcomes him back. And it's this incredible, beautiful story of the unconditional, undeserved love of God the father for both his sons, for the whole breadth of humanity, for whoever and everyone out there, no matter what our story is, this is the posture of the Father. He wants to run to us and to embrace us if we're willing to receive it. You know, when I was a kid, um, like probably a number of you here, I idolized my dad. I had a really good dad. Still do, he's still alive. And I can remember being on the playground with my buddies, and maybe you did this too. And I, you know, we'd be, kibitzing back and forth and arguing or whatever me and my friends and I would say you know my dad can beat your dad up he's tougher than you you probably said that to some of your friends like that as well but the one thing and there's probably some truth to it my dad was pretty tough and um but there's one thing I never said to my friends was we were on the playground together and it was this you know what my dad is more sensitive than your dad is that's not something I ever said, even though there'd probably be a lot of truth to that. But as sons growing up, we would often think of our dad as this strong, in, invincible individual that was never wrong. And I remember vividly in the basement of our home, my dad was very athletic, much better athlete than me, but I remember competing against him in something. And he didn't just let me win because he was pretty competitive. But I beat him at the thing we were doing. And it was just this, the light bulb just went on. That he wasn't invincible. Yeah, he was strong, he was gifted, all of these things. And that he wasn't always right. Even though he was usually right. But he wasn't always right. And so it was this, you know, I was excited that I won Or whatever, but it was also an incredibly sad day when this realization came in my life. And at the same time, we see God in this passage and in the Bible as very powerful and very strong, but we also see in this passage a God who has a softer side too, and that he can manage both sides of that equation perfectly all at the same time. So let's see some evidences of that. The first thing you see, one of the things I see as I look at this passage, is that God the Father is a patient Father. He's a patient Father. He says, you know, I love you, son. I desperately want you to be part of our household. You're so welcome here. But I will not stand by and watch you self-destruct. I love you just I love you just way too much, and I can see the choices that you're, you're amping up to, and I need to put a stop to this kind of choices and these kind of behaviors, because like I said earlier, not only is it going to wreck you, but it's going to wreck me, it's going to wreck our family, it's going to damage our community, all of these things, the ripple effect of these kind of choices will leave deep-seated scars that are hard to heal. And so I just love you too much to enable these choices. And so off the sun goes. So let me just say, and this is tough stuff. Dad, if your dad, if your child is going off the rails and is starting to make those choices like that, do we have the courage? And this takes real courage, to say, I love you enough to stop you. To tell you this is not appropriate, to tell you that this cannot continue, and this will not be tolerated. That's tough. It's easier when it's somebody else's kid. It's easy to watch some other family and say, you know, I wonder why they don't do that with that kid. Look at how that kid's behaving, blah blah blah. But when it's your own kid, well, that's tough stuff. But this is the heart of the father. Because the Father loves us. But he also is deeply patient as well. Deeply patient with all of humanity, the whole gamut of humanity. We read in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. This is the posture of God. But everyone to come to repentance. He doesn't just have a few people that he likes he wants everyone to have relationship with him through Christ and so for some of the parents that are here this morning you are experiencing and you know how hard it is to wait for that child to come around to the right path and you've had to take some of these stands and junior hasn't responded well And so you're patiently waiting for them to come back. And this is what God the Father did. And the Father in this story didn't compromise on principle. He didn't give up either. And this can be the case too. And I've seen this with some dads. You know, the kid just does things that just frustrate you, like all get out, and hurts you and hurts others deeply. And you've told them this can't continue, but they just keep doing it and they won't stop. And then there's the father that will come along and say, I wash my hands of you. And this is not the posture of God the father or of what it should be of any earthly father either. And so this father doesn't wash his hands of his son, even though he's dragging the family names through the the mud. He's patient and expectant. And he's prayerfully praying, he's praying, you know, save my son. Bring my son to the end of himself. Help him to see the error and the self-destructive nature of his choices. Help him to see his sin. Help him to repent of his sin and to come back. And I am guessing that he would have heard rumors and stories about the kinds of choices that his son was making. And it would have broken his heart and it breaks the heart of God the Father but he loves his son enough to wait. Even though he would have been deeply tempted to run out there and say, no, it's okay, you know, I love you, so come on back and, you know, you, you know we'll figure it out somehow. He didn't do that. He waited and he prayed. And he was expectant and he was patient. And he loved him enough to wait. Because he understood fundamentally that he could not make the choice for this his son. You know, as parents, we often, or you know, with friends, we want to make the choice for them. Oh man, you're destroying your life or whatever. And we want to help them, we want to make the choice for them. We can't make the choice. They have to make the choice for themselves. And he understood this about his son. His son has to come to the place of humility. The son has to come to the place of admitting that really a a bad day in the father's house is way better than a great day in the house of sin. And only the kid could come to the place of realizing this and admitting this. And so he's the dad who waits for God to do what only God can do in his son's life. You know, God is looking at every one of us here right now, and he's got that kind of a heart towards us. You know, it's interesting, if you know the story of Saul who becomes Paul, uh, Saul begins by persecuting the church, and he takes people that are followers of Jesus that haven't done anything wrong, and he pushes them around, he threatens them, he arrests them, He separates them from their family, throws them in jail, abuses them, tortures them. And if they won't step away from Jesus, he killed many of them, murdered many of them. Then he has an encounter with the living Christ, a personal encounter with the resurrected Christ. And his life does a 180 change and he surrenders to Jesus He admits his sin and Christ changes his life and he becomes the chief architect of the New Testament church. He writes most of the New Testament. Here's what he writes. Listen to these words from 1 Timothy. He says, but for that very reason, I, Paul, was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who believe on him And receive eternal life. The heart of the father for you and for me. Is of patience. But he's also a forgiving father. God's a forgiving father. In Ephesians chapter 1. It says this. In him we have redemption. Through his blood the forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace. That he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding. And so this lost son has sinned against God and against his father over and over again. This dad has lived a life of integrity, and this this son has abused all that. He's tarnished the family name, which was a huge deal in that day. He's blown the inheritance. He's done things. He's burned bridges that can never be repaired. And there's not a thing, listen to me carefully, there's not one thing that this son can do to earn his father's forgiveness. All he can do is just admit what he's done and ask for totally undeserved forgiveness. Unmerited, unearned forgiveness. And immediately, the dad wraps his arms around him and puts a robe on him and throws a huge celebration because the son that was dead, the son that was lost has been found alive and has returned home because of forgiveness. He was lost and now he's found. Listen to the, listen to the posture of God the Father. So this is God the Father speaking in the book of Isaiah. He says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your sin." for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. Something I've said to you many times before, I say to you again, forgiveness is something good that God does for himself. I, even I, am he who blots out your sin for my own sake. And it translates that it's the exact same thing. We can trace this biblically. The exact same thing for us. Forgiveness is something good we do for ourselves. And so God the Father forgives. And so, Dad, I want to ask you, again, this is tough stuff, that kid that's hurt you, what I am not saying is to willingly let sin continue. What I am not saying is that you should turn a blind eye to that. What I am not saying is that you should just let it go and act like it's a big, no big deal. Because let's just just talk dad to dad for a second here. You know deep in your heart that is not the loving thing to do for your son or your daughter. As hard as that is, you and I know that's not the loving thing to do. And certainly God never does that. But what he does do is he has this, as I said earlier, this posture of expectancy where he stands ready to forgive, especially when we don't deserve it. And so I ask, have you forgiven that child? Or are you living in the bondage of unforgiveness? You know, in my extended family, there's people that live like that. And I've seen that in other people outside my family, but I've seen it in my extended family. And it, it just destroys people when they live in the bondage of unforgiveness. And so things have been done in the extended family and the, they've fought and said things to each other. And then soon they stop talking to one another, haven't talked to one another for years. And at some point in that process, they became deeply bitter people. And it's, quite honestly, it's just derailed their life. And when I look at them now, they're just very small people. And when we won't forgive, we become very small people. Be a father who forgives. But he's also an intimate father. God's an intimate father. We see this in verse 20. Let me read it to you again. So the son went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Filled with compassion, he runs to his son and throws his arm around him. And this is a picture of what God wants to do in the life of every human being. He wants to run to them. He wants to hug them. Now, it's interesting, this idea of the father running to him, because for us, that would just seem very normal, right? And and as a parent, there wouldn't be probably a parent here that hasn't run to their child at some point. And so we don't even give that a second thought. But in this culture where this was written at this time in history in particular. And even if you're in the Middle East now, you see definite overtones of this as well. And I've been there a couple of times. This was a huge no-no culturally in that culture. In the first century in that culture, a man would never run like that. And the reason for that is because they would wear these long garments that were like a robe that they would have to gather up in order to run. Or kind of hitch up, and in that culture, a man would never expose his bare legs. In that culture, it was a deeply shameful, humiliating thing for them to see a man's legs. They would never willingly, voluntarily do that. So why would do Dad do that? Why would Dad do that? Well, it could be as simple as he was just excited to see his son, and hitched up his garment so he could run and would run to him but they would not voluntarily do that and bring shame on themselves for doing that so it may be i was reading in some a, a book called the cross and the prodigal by ken bailey and he was just explaining that and jesus had all of this cultural nuance in mind when he told this story In that day, if a Jewish son lost his inheritance in this way, in a Gentile land, and then came home, the community would come and they would gather, and they would perform a ceremony called the kezaza, and they would take a large bowl, large pot, clay pot, and they would break it in front of him at his feet, and they would scream at him, and they would say, you are cut off from your people and the community would completely shame and humiliate and ridicule him and reject him. So I'm guessing here. But I'm thinking that one of the reasons, apart from the fact that he was excited to see his son, is that he wanted to make sure that he got to his son before the community did. And so the dad hitches up his robe, runs and shames himself in front of everyone that saw him, So that his son would not experience the shame and humiliation of their taunting and ridicule. And this is the posture of God the Father for you. And the community would have seen this or they would have heard about it. Because they all, you know, if you've ever lived in a small community, you know They know each other's business. And they would have known that because of the dad's reaction, there would be no ceremony rejecting the son, despite what the son had done, because the father had taken the shame of his son instead. And so if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus, if you've never launched a relationship with Jesus, If you've never come to the place of owning the things that separate us from a holy God, the sinful choices that we all make and ask for him to forgive you and recognize that he took all of this on himself in the person of his son and that this is why Jesus went to the cross, that he took the shame of all of us on the cross, but also that God the Father made an incredible Incredible sacrifice in releasing his son to do that for us. And then surrendering your life to him and, and, and the rest of your life and allowing him to be the Lord and the leader and in control of your life and then felt in a sense the hug, the welcoming hug of the father. If you've never done that The posture of God the Father is that He wants that relationship with you. An intimate Father who stood in the gap for His Son. Now, today is Father's Day, and I honor my earthly Father because He's not perfect, but He's the kind of man that I've been talking about today. His dad, my grandpa, was a distant father, not there for his son, and my dad decided to be different, and so he was, and he was there for me, so I honor him today. But if you're here today, and you are drawn to this story of what God the Father did for the Son who was lost like we all are. Know that he wants to be your father. And despite what experience you might have had with your earthly father, the heavenly father is a father without blemish or fault or sin. A father who wants to run to you, who longs for you to repent so that you can have a relationship with him. To say, I am asking based on what Jesus did for me on the cross forgive me for my sin and I surrender my life and the rest of my life and the agenda of my life to you I just urge you if you've never had a day where that was the new reality for you don't leave here, whatever you do don't leave here without coming and talking with someone like me or or uh, one of the other staff or the people that will be up here to pray at the end of the service or the people you came with. How can I have this relationship with Christ? Don't do it. God is my Father. I'd like to pray with you now. Let's bow together. And I'd like to pray for the dads that are here this morning. You know, kind Father, So often and rightly so, we celebrate the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And we did that not long ago with the Passion Week and with Easter, and totally appropriate. But we don't often celebrate. We don't often, I don't think, maybe I it's just me, but acknowledge your sacrifice in releasing your son to come. And even as he pled with you in the garden, isn't there another way? And And you knew there wasn't another way, and he was willing to do it, but how that must have ripped your heart to let your innocent son die for people that were going to spit on him and ridicule him and reject him. And so we thank you for your sacrifice as a father for us. And we thank you for your example to us that we've been talking about today, that you are the patient Father, the intimate Father, the forgiving Father, the Father that has this open-armed posture with us. Thank you so much for that. And quite honestly, it, 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 it scares us as dads because we know we fall woefully short of that. And the cool thing is, is you, you never expect us live to those kind of standards in our own strength but instead you say "I'll, I'll send my spirit and if you'll surrender yourself I'll empower you not to live a perfect life but a life that reflects those kind of values those kinds of approaches and so we invite you to do that for the fathers that are here today Lord would you pour out your spirit on them And if there's things that they've done or I've done that we need to repent of, point those out to us so that we can be humble and own our stuff and and start on a new path and a new track and help us to be humble and loving. Help us to love, our if we're married, to love our spouse. You know, horizontally in terms of relationship, the most important relationship there is with our spouse even more, than in, more important than with the kids. Help us to love their mom in a way that they can look up to and admire and say, I want to model that kind of thing in my life someday if God leads me that way. And then love our kids and help them sort life out and be an example to them. So Lord, we need your help in this. And we invite you to do it all for your glory and for your honor through our life. In Jesus' name we pray.